Welcome to the Sacred Body Podcast, where we investigate trauma resolution, healing, sex, and intimacy, and motherhood, all through the lens of the sacred and wise nature of the body. This season, we're focusing a little bit more on inherited trauma and how our inherited history has impacted our individual paths to wholeness. So if you're here, you're on a journey, and I welcome you every part of you to the conversation. Welcome everybody to the Sacred Body Podcast. It's been a while since I've recorded a conversation and this season of depth and what I what I experienced to be the season of grief in deep winter and December and eclipses. I'm really grateful to be speaking to Marissa Angeletti, who is a colleague of mine. Marissa is a somatic therapist, Ayurvedic practitioner, movement-based trauma specialist, and therapeutic movement educator and practitioner. Marissa and I were in Shakti school with Katie Silcox together in the first year and have stayed in touch and in tune with one another since then. Marissa is also a mother, and that's a large part of how we reconnected I'm super excited to have you here, Marissa. I have to admit, before I hand the mic over to you uh, for your own introduction, from the moment that I knew you were a graduate of Naropa University, I had a little bit of an infatuation with you. It's been um, like a goal of my, or just that's been sort of like my unicorn, Naropa. I, I almost annually request a packet from Naropa. And so anyways, I'm, I'm thrilled for lots of reasons. There's a depth that um, I admire in you so much. And I'm grateful to have your time this morning for the podcast. And I just would love for you to introduce yourself to us in your own words. Thank you so much, Stacey. Um, hi, everybody. I'm glad to, to share our conversation with you today. And I think I'll start with Naropa since it's such a unicorn. <laughs> um, I, I found Naropa and it became part of my experience after I had been um, teaching yoga in Washington, DC for a couple of years. And prior to becoming a, a yoga teacher, I was very interested and very invested in social activism work and humanitarian work. And sort of by happenstance, I came upon a a flyer for an organization called Street Yoga. And Street Yoga um, trained and taught people how to bring yoga to at-risk youth. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a bridge for this movement, this mind-body, you know, Mm -hmm. medicine that I love so much and this, this social activism. So I signed up, took it, fell in love with it. And that kind of opened a really big space for me that led very quickly of one thing to the next to the next. Um, I started working with and volunteering with another organization called Yoga Activist. And similarly, they trained and brought yoga to various vulnerable populations across the DC metro area. 
um, and then I wound up working for them as their outreach director. Um, and was doing that, I wanna say for maybe a year and a half or two years, and I loved it. But what started to happen <laughs> was that people would be having an emotional experience or a nervous system response due to connecting to their breath and their body. Mm -hmm. And even though I had all this training in trauma-informed yoga, I felt like if someone had an experience, let's say that was, I'm going to use numbers, let's say they had an experience that was four feet big, I felt like I could only go two and a half feet, you know? Mm. And so one day I literally woke up and was like, it's somatic psychology. Like that, <laughs> that is what I need to do next. Um, and I had known about Naropa for some time. I actually almost went there as a teenager for my undergraduate, <laughs> but oh. didn't. Um, and then just having been in, you know, contemplative circles and communities, it was quite a, a fixture. So there are a couple of other schools that do somatic psychology graduate programs. But for me personally, I really felt like it's Naropa or nowhere. And luckily and thankfully, um, I feel very fulfilled and very supported by my education there because I think one of the really unique things about attending Naropa and being a student there is you get an extra layer of this contemplative inquiry mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily get at other universities. My program was three years long and a majority of masters psychology and even somatic psych programs are two years. So for example, I had an entire year long class on developmental movement psychology. And I had a friend who was at a different university at the time and that class for her was only one semester. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I really got the room to breathe and expand and explore this really, really powerful modality. Um, and it was during that time that I, I fell more in love with Ayurveda and began to see a lot of connections between somatic work and Ayurveda. Yeah. Um, and then formally began Ayurveda school um, at Kripalu Center in Massachusetts. And then after that took Shakti school um, levels one and two with Katie. And so my work and my approach and what I really love to bring to people is what I'm starting to call somatic Ayurveda. Nice. <laughs> um, because we all have a body and all of our bodies experience things. And I don't necessarily wanna be drawing a line in the sand that says, well, this body can only use this modality at this time. <laughs> because I think that does us a disservice. So I'm very interested in this merge and how different wisdom modalities and traditions can support us and support the people that we work with. I'm so interested how you would describe the impact of Ayurveda on your capacity to be in that larger holding capacity, right? Like yeah. sort of following that thread from your awareness of, I don't have the capacity to be with someone who's having a real 
reaction, response, uh, who's dropping into something that needs a container, a, mm-hmm. you know, from you. Um, and there's so much we could talk about. Let's save that for another podcast. <laughs> Trauma-informed yoga and oh my god, yes, let's what do works it. and what doesn't work. Um, I have a long history there as well. Mm-hmm. And I would just love to hear how Ayurveda has informed or enhanced this experience of being with trauma response and trauma resolution work. Absolutely. Um, so Ayurveda, in terms of, let's say, an in-the-moment response or someone's processing an emotional experience or trauma they've had, um, Ayurveda gives us the room to say, let's do the emotional processing work. Let's also perhaps look at your lifestyle and the factors that may have contributed to that experience. Do we need to change something about your daily routine or your food choices? By the way, here's this beautiful herb that can help you. Um, By the way, here's a mantra or another subtle body practice that can support this experience you're having. And all of that comes back to the body. So I think Ayurveda can pick up some of the pieces that even something like holistic somatic psychology doesn't necessarily touch because that's not what's included when you're doing somatic work. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing, and this is where the seed really blossomed for me in graduate school, was if we think about the elemental constitutions in Ayurveda, so we have Vata Pitta Kappa, but each of those is a marriage of two of the five fundamental elements. Each of those couples displays general predominant tendencies in the way they utilize and move their bodies through space. And I actually wrote my master's thesis on this on dance therapy and Ayurveda for emotional balance because I found it to be so powerful. So I can be working with somebody and using the Ayurvedic lens say, oh, this person has a predominance of ether and air, which would be vata. That means their movement tendencies have these qualities. And then from my somatic perspective, I can like fact check that, right? Is that accurate based on what I'm seeing as I work with this person? And so far it is, I haven't, I have not yet had a no. (laughs) Um, And then the, the final piece with the trauma and the nervous system is that each of those doshic constitutions will tend towards a sympathetic nervous system response to threat. Mm -hmm. So of course there's always nuance, but in general, a vata constitution will go in towards, will go towards a flight response. They will flee or they will try to flee their experience. A pitta constitution in general will go into a fight response and a kappa constitution in general will go into a freeze response. Yeah. <laughs> it's so resonant. Isn't that cool? And then what you yeah. can do is be like, oh, that makes so much sense for your body, for your mind, for your spirit being. And now that we know that about you, we can start to pull in the qualities that help sequence that response out of yourselves. And one thing that I would say somatics and Ayurveda, when 
when shared responsibly will do is gradually with titration, mm -hmm. mobilize and move out of the state that is causing imbalance, right? So if, if you're in a freeze response, it's not all of a sudden, let's get really big and aggressive and move very quickly because that can just further drive in the trauma. So it's more about how do we very gently reawaken, right? Very gently take steps towards that middle ground of what we would call balance. Um, I'm so glad you're on the podcast so that more people can know what you're doing. This is a really beautiful, important take on the work. And, you know, the more... I feel obviously very committed to the wisdom of Ayurveda and what you just gave everyone listening was such a succinct and clear format for bringing Ayurveda in, in a way that's something that I spoke to um, another colleague and teacher about was principles versus protocols. Like these principles are solid and they are reliable. The protocols can get distracting, I find, for a lot of people. Um, but there are things that are really critical to hold on to, like the titration that is absolutely a part of Ayurveda. Because again, like the titration is, this is a daily practice. You do something for 15 minutes every day. It's not just like this massive, arguably re-traumatizing life change or chemical compound added to your system that just like, you know, brings whatever is out of hand to a screeching halt and turns it into another thing. Mm. I personally really struggle with the titration element. My own, my own pitta nature is like, come on, let's go. Let's do this. Let's change it. Let's fix it. Let's, I'm going to beat, beat it to a bloody pulp. Like, come on, come on, come on. And the soft and gentle really irritate me at first, mm. like it really grates on me. But then I, I was sharing with a friend recently who's a body worker that I went through this long, like six month long healing process, uh, panchakarma followed by this like really deep restorative protocol. And there was one massage therapist at this center where I was going who would give me really gentle touch and mm. I would always try to book with someone else who did like hardcore like like use their elbows and every time I got her I was like ah but every time I left I was like so completely mm. restored and in my body for much longer like it was an undeniable mm. experience it was a little bit of a tangent. No, I love that. I love <laughs> that. You know, I think, I think both of these modalities would agree that the thing that you are drawn to when you're in a state of imbalance, that is yeah. the thing you're drawn to is the thing that is most similar to your imbalance. Yeah. And therefore the thing that is going to serve you most and the thing you most need tends to be the opposite. Um, tends to be a little awkward initially, yeah, like maybe even threatening. Mm -hmm. um, you're telling that story reminded me of a Naropa experience. 
it was in that um, year long class I mentioned, which was probably my favorite class, if I'm being yeah, honest. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, but what, what we had to do in the second half of the class, we were assigned a buddy and we had to observe our buddy and their developmental movement expressions. And just, just naturally, you know, it wasn't like you took a pad and you were like examining this yeah. person. It was just, you know, as you were not doing to... like lab annotation on there, <laughs> although that was part of the class, but, um, you're just, you're noticing, right. And yeah. at the end of that semester, we had to present the buddy with what was called your home character based on the, the, the movement patterns they displayed most naturally. Mm -hmm. And we had to bring like props and costumes and what have you to have the person, you know, really get in. And then we also had to give them a challenge character, which is what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. I can actually feel my heart like beating a little bit because you didn't know what your characters were until your person was like, hey, this is what you are now. Go move in front of 20 people, you know? <laughs> and um, my buddy gave me a Disney fairy princess as my home character. Mm. And I like, you know, put the stuff on and I did my, my kind of natural movement tendencies. <laughs> and it was great. Uh, <laughs> And then she gave me my challenge character and I put the stuff on and it was a football quarterback. And I like seriously getting like this remembrance and I, I put on the clothes <laughs> and I got up in front of these people and I kind of like did a, a big squat, you know, and threw my arms out and I went, Wah! you know, and I started sobbing because that way of being in my body and with myself was so scary to me in previous iterations of my life. And even in that moment, because it was so, so unfamiliar. Yeah. And this idea of like middle ground, you know, and nervous system regulation is not like, I need to be a football quarterback all of the time, but it's more like, how do I realize I have the ability to call upon those qualities and expressions when various stimuli or experiences enter my field, right? Like being a fairy princess all the time with everything is not always gonna be effective or safe. Um, so your massage experience, I think is exactly the same. And I, I don't think is tangential at all. Uh, knowing, knowing you and, and knowing, um, what has brought us back together again after mm -hmm. our time as, as peers in Shakti school, um, what you just shared feels to me like a great entry point into your experience of becoming a mother. Yeah. Um, and so for, for a little bit of, of background, um, well, Marissa and I both have daughters who were born like a week apart from one another. And as you, the people listening might imagine, um, both coming from a very holistic view of birth and having specific 
things in mind in terms of how a pregnancy goes and how birth goes and how postpartum goes. And uh, it doesn't always. <laughs> and sometimes, I mean, um, there's a lot that I could say outright, but I would just love to invite your experience and Marissa of becoming pregnant and and how this experience played out for you. Yeah. Um, so the, my pregnancy experience actually began last, so the year 2020, mm -hmm. uh, last March, right before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And um, I unknowingly was experiencing a very long, and complicated miscarriage that went on for about six weeks. Yeah. Um, so there was there was a lot of fear and confusion and, and trauma, you know, and things were changing so quickly and my body was doing all this stuff that I didn't quite understand um, and was really shocked by, you know, I, I don't think anyone thinks that that's the experience they might have with a pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so it took some time afterwards to recover and process and honor that spirit, you know, and, and kind of prepare. Um, and then successfully got pregnant in the summer of 2020 with my now daughter, Audrey Rose. And um, I would say, even though it was the middle of the pandemic, which had a lot of challenges and, um, you know, grieving moments in a pregnancy, even though that was true, it was a beautiful pregnancy. I felt really vibrant. I felt really healthy. I had no issues or complications of any kind. I did a lot of connection work with my baby, meditated and touched and visualized and felt so intentional and excited and empowered. Um, and just, you know, from a lot of the training that I had taken, um, felt like I was in a very new spiritual territory being pregnant and mm -hmm. felt that giving birth was an extension of that new territory. Um, and my, my pregnancy experience is really in very stark contrast to my birth experience, which was very traumatic. Um, While being pregnant, I hyper-educated myself. <laughs> I hyper-educated myself. So many books, so, so, so many books on top of the years of training, you know, right. about feminine health and pregnancy and, and birth and postpartum. Um, I went to a birth center. I took classes. I did the exercises and the movements, you know, I had a, a beautiful pregnancy app and for uh, meditations and was so excited and invested and felt like I knew everything there was to know and felt like if anyone of all people was going to have an unmedicated birth, it would be me. It it really felt like an impossibility to have it go otherwise. 
And being on this side of my experience, I think there's a lot of shadow around the holistic pregnancy and birth world and the unmedicated birth world that caused me a lot of harm. Mm. Um, there's trauma on both sides of my birth experience, having been at the birth center and then getting transferred to a hospital and then getting readmitted to a hospital a week later. Um, so all of, you know, all of that has traumatic events and emotions. However, <laughs> I now feel like there's sort of this unspoken guarantee or promise in this holistic birth world that because you have a body and because you have a body that's pregnant, you will and you should have an unmedicated birth. Everything I read, everything I watched, every class I took teaches it that way. Nothing says, hey, you know what? Birth is physiological and here's like a best case scenario outcome that's possible for you. But it may also be possible that something else happens. And can it be okay if something else happens? And looking back on all of, you know, these books and classes and, and things I've done, I don't think it was okay. There's a lot of unspoken shame woven into those practices and those teachings. And I think I'm still mourning it, you know? Mm -hmm. How come my birth went that way? Why didn't I get to do this, 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 and this, you know? And I, I love and I think it's beautiful when people have that experience. But I think we need to open up some room for, for folks who don't, especially if, if they're pregnant and birthing people who are in this holistic world, you know, that they can come forward and say, here's what happened. Am I still safe in this community? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really um, real I don't even know the word obstacle reality that I feel like I, I actually feel like no matter what your birth story, everyone ends up in this like very small box. Mm. It's not like, it's just not a conversation that culturally we're capable of. We're not capable culturally of holding much complexity at all. And I don't know anything more complex than birth. Yeah. It was like a human, physical, emotional, spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And I really heard you express this grief on, on multiple layers, but in particular, almost like being fed a lie, something that guided you toward like a rigid expression of experience that would inevitably not come to fruition because it was so rigid. And I think that there's something to be said for, you know, wherever we're aligned, whether it's like, no, I'm definitely having my baby in the hospital and, or I'm definitely not, I would never, and this is how it's gonna go. And I would never put this or that in my body. Mm -hmm. 
neither of those allows for the complexity and evolutionary potential of having a baby. Yes. Like neither the medical model or the home birth or quote unquote natural birth model really allows for what is likely to happen, which is like, you're just going to get blown up as a person. (laughs) And nothing that you expect. I mean, and it happens for people. I know that it does happen for people and it's like, oh, it just went the way I I visualized it. And like, Mm -hmm. that was fantastic. But neither of my births have been that way. Yeah. But there's so much, there's just so much to be said for uh, cultivating space for a conversation and for like more, what is it? Do you think it's more support? Like, how do we do this, Marissa? How do we like transform this, this system and culture around birth? Yeah. I think it's the conversations that that you're talking about, you know, and being comfortable with complexity, which is, which can be hard. Um, The larger population maybe doesn't welcome that because it requires work, you know, instead of like, oh, how is your birth? Oh, the baby is so cute. Great. You know, like people just want like the quick snippet has been my experience. Uh Um, And when you start to go into a more nuanced territory, they don't quite know what to do with that. And by the way, this has also been true for my husband because because of what happened with our birth experience, he had to take off for a month. And when he got back and everyone's like, how are you? How's your wife? How's the baby? You know, he didn't go into full detail, but he said something like, it's actually really scary. And my wife was hospitalized for a very long time. And, you know, it was really hard. And they would be like, oh, okay. And then like move on to the next thing. And they, they didn't know how to talk to him. And that's him just saying like a very, very basic bare bones thing, right? Not even going into, you know, the, the more salient points. Yeah. Um, I think what you said earlier about principles versus protocols is really relevant to this conversation too. Like, mm-hmm. can we hold the principle? Can we hold the belief that, you know, this is pregnancy and this is birth and this is a potential outcome? But can we also hold the potentiality that there's something else that could happen? And I don't think we should scare people, but I think what's missing is like a realistic discussion. I, I had never heard of what happened to me in like all of this education that I did, never heard of it. Yeah. And granted, it's not the most common experience, right? But it's not so obscure that no one should be talking about it. And and so I think we're missing that kind of middle ground, that integration that says, here's what this process is. And it's beautiful. And it's going to blow you up, like you said. And it's powerful. And it's going to bring you to edges of yourself, right? And it it can be this. And it can also be this. Yeah. And if we can hold that it can also be this, then we can maybe start to destigmatize, you know, some of this 
additional shame and trauma that comes up for people. I mean, this whole conversation, it's just like loops and loops that keep, that grab one another and carry forward. You said the phrase Ayurveda when shared responsibly. Yeah. Before and I was I wrote it down in the chat. <laughs> so I was like, when shared responsibly, we have to come back to this. And it's what I'm thinking now is like I I honestly have found myself since initiating my somatic sex educator training and learning more about sex and sexuality, I've become, I mean, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, like much more prudish. But it's like sex makes babies sex makes babies. And if we're not initiating, like without being scared of it, but like, we've got a lifetime to educate our children, our young people about pregnancy Mm -hmm. and birth as normal and as like very profound life changing experiences. And these are the potential consequences of sex and it also is really pleasurable and feels good here's all the reasons you would want to have it with lots of people (laughs) it's it's just this nuance that we've not um reclaimed yeah I mean still I feel like we're we're in this era of extremity where it's either or it's black or white in everything yes we have no capacity for nuance we're all like very, very blown out by our experiences and this need to repair or correct or punish or blame or mm-hmm. reclaim. Um, and just to be able to have the time to tell your story, like, you know, before we started recording, you said, I, I know what is safe for me to share but there's also something that you mentioned in a previous conversation we had about like just the time, like with each telling, maybe something can, something else can be shared. Yeah. But do we, as people listening to one another, are we willing to give that time and space? Like it's the capacity that I have to listen, to hold space for your four foot wide experience. Um, I don't know if this makes sense to anybody listening, but I feel hopeful that it does because it makes sense to me. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it, it takes energy to listen actively and empathetically and really just receive. Yeah. And perhaps that is part of the challenge, you know, not having to feel the responsibility to like fix what the person is telling you. Or change it in some way, but just hold it. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, grief keeps coming up a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's also sad. It's hard to say that I feel safe sharing some things and unsafe feeling sharing other things about my birth. Like I would love to be able to say, yeah, like here's my whole thing. Let's just you know, let me just share with you what happened. Like you as the greater you. Yeah. Um, and yet I still, ha- I am still holding fear about how this holistic world would receive that. And that's what I, I want to bring light to and change a little bit. Um, I love what you brought up about sex because 
sex can be pleasurable, birth can be pleasurable, but haven't, haven't most of us also had a sexual experience where we're like, Ugh, oof, no, thank you. You yeah. know, or actually that kind of hurt. Um, this is the nuance, like sex can be this birth can be this, but both of them can also be something else. And, you know, there's so many factors that contribute to what that experience is, but if we can't hold nuance, I think we're doing ourselves and our children and our culture a very big disservice. I agree with that. I, I have shared this before on the podcast. I have, um, you know, as complex a relationship with my mom as anybody, but I will say one of the biggest gifts my mom gave me was speaking freely, plainly, without shame about sex from the earliest age I can remember. And when it came time for me to be asking questions specifically about like having sex, like what is that like, or what, you know, I don't even know how I, we, my mom and I were talking about sex and I think I was about 13 or 14. And she said to me, a woman I know shared with her daughter that she would know she was ready for sex when she was ready for all the emotions that come along with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. And like, it's still so relevant to me today. It feels like the most significant thing she could have shared with me. Like mm -hmm. I didn't need to know about the mechanics of it or like, you know, kids figure that out in whatever without going down that rabbit hole. That was just like, oh, wow. Mm. And, and to your point about kind of this false presentation of, of birth and the recovery, it's like, yeah, it's not about you just scare people or you just gloss over everything that could be a part of it. But like in both of my experiences, I wouldn't call them traumatic, but there's a lot of mess that comes along with it, like literal mess. Yeah. And also that like emotional, psychological messiness. Yes. You could have the most straightforward birth. Like my birth with my daughter was pretty straightforward, but like wrecked me mentally. Because you're still giving birth to a human that you grew in your body. Like what? Yeah, does yeah that totally. Does still blow your mind? Cause it does for me. Like, and like to the messiness, like, is there anything more somatic than giving birth? No. Maybe sex, right? <laughs> like, but to your, like with, with, I mean, passing a human through your own body, through yeah. your own viscera that you've grown with your own blood. I mean, that's literally sucking your minerals and fat stores for however long after the birth. Like yeah. it is unbelievably intense. And there's something to be said for the, the kind of holding and support that supports that kind of experience that is complex that like, um, you know, I just feel like most people bring a tremendous amount of expectation to a pregnant person or a new mom 
that's like, you're loving this, right? Everything's great. Mm-hmm. Or like, isn't it so I saw, I saw a meme the other day. It's like everybody else. Oh my gosh, this is so hard, isn't it? Me. Yes. It's really hard. I need help. Oh my gosh. You're such a warrior. I can't believe you're doing so well. No, but seriously, mm-hmm. I really need help. Oh my gosh. I can't believe this. You're a superstar. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like we see the difficulty, but we don't really yeah. show up for it. Yeah. And just because someone is presenting as getting through an experience doesn't mean that they're a rock star or a superstar or whatever the meme said, right? Like yeah. that, that kind of goes into this, like, are you operating from this imbalanced nervous system place of I'm in, I'm in survival mode. I'm in a trauma response of some kind. And this is how I've learned to get through things that are challenging. And just because it's working in that moment to some degree doesn't mean it's serving your greater health and balance and vitality, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the birthing community and the postpartum community needs that space to say, this is really hard. I need help. And the response to be like, you're right. It is hard. What would be helpful? A, B, or C, you know? Um, because as, as you might be able to relate to a more vague, uh, offering of, can I do anything for you can be really hard to answer when you're struggling. Yeah. Right. But to the friend or family member, I actually, this is so beautiful. I just had an old friend reach out to me and she was like, Hey, um, would you guys like to have a, a gift card to one of your favorite restaurants or would a DoorDash gift card be better? Cause she saw, I did like a photojournalism thing on postpartum um, with, a, with a photographer in my area and it's online and she saw it and she saw some of my narrative and what I wrote. And she was like, wow, like I was just reading your story and here's what it brought up for me. And I'd love to do something for you would you like this or this? And I was like, oh, it was like this weight was lifted because I didn't have to think about what I would need for support, right? I just had to make a choice between two options. And it was so lovely. I think there, like what you described, what I heard in it is like this, Uh, impersonal is not, not the right word, but like selfless. Just statement of like, I'm here. I'm here and uh, yeah, you, you're right. Like some of the most supportive, wonderful experiences I've had in my postpartum is like, I made some soup. Would you like me to drop some off? Yes. Just give me a yes or no option. Bingo. Yeah. I need the yes or no option. Like, would you like a visitor today? I could also come tomorrow at three. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you need me to like, I have a friend. Can I come and like take your glass recycling? Like, are you kidding me? Yes. Yes. That's freaking amazing. Yes. I want to, I want to talk again. (laughs) 
Me too. I want to keep, um, you know, exploring this conversation and, and maybe we just make a commitment that this is a two-part conversation that we share because I know there's so much more that we can go into. I want to investigate a little bit more of this, like, you know, it's the underbelly of the holistic birth world. It's the underbelly of the yoga world. It's the under, you know, it's, it's across the board, these extremes of like, we're either everything is terrible and terrifying, or we're just glossing over mm-hmm. the hard work yep. that it actually is to be a human being. Yeah. Um, so for now, I just want to extend my gratitude to you for being in this conversation with me and also highlight the unbelievable work you're doing with Somatic Ayurveda, uh, the incredible body of knowledge that you are and uh, give you the opportunity to share either your website or something that's coming up or how can people find you, Marissa? Yeah, Um, well, let's definitely schedule part two part two for sure. I think there's more coming. Um, And just thank you again for having me. This feels like such a beautiful way to start my day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find me, my website and my Instagram are in loca motion, L-O-K-A-H. And coming up in January, I'm doing a day long virtual retreat with a dear friend of mine, combining Ayurveda, hypnotherapy, and somatics. It's called Original You um, because I I think there's a lot in January and around the new year of like, new year, new you. Fix it. (laughs) Get better, you know, (laughs) make changes. And uh, when I brought this up to her, I was like, I'm so sick of that rhetoric. Like, what if this is more about come home to yourself you know you're already whole there's nothing to fix there's just what to connect to so we're going to be guiding you through a really sweet day of very supportive practices reflections and community connection to start your year and in early spring I'll be relaunching a group of mine that I love called holy hunger Um, which is a group on disordered eating, um, body image, and and food. Um, So details about that will be up shortly. Awesome. And oh, and I see people individually, of course. So you can always reach out for that if you're interested. Thank you, Marissa. I can't wait to continue this conversation. Me too. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like this episode, please leave a comment. Please share through all your channels. And you also have the opportunity to make a donation to ensure that these amazing conversations continue with ease. I appreciate you being here. I'm curious to hear how this conversation has impacted you. And I hope that you'll join us again.